Uh, and I want to share with you a couple things that I learned uh, over this past week uh, and over that, uh, you know, the whole Irma thing. The first one is this, as we talk about A New Hope today. It's not a homage to Star Wars, any, uh, just in case you're wondering. It's, anyway, uh, there's just something I learned. None of us can steer storms. Isn't that true? Like, wouldn't it be great if there was an app on your iPhones or on your, you know, Androids that was like, you know, hurricane steering, and you could just go on and be like, and, and, and I hope when you were praying, you were, you were praying that it wouldn't hit anybody, right? You know, it's like, just don't pray those selfish prayers, Lord, just don't hit, you know, don't let the hurricane hit us. It can crush Fort Lauderdale, that's fine, but just don't let it hit us. No, pray that it doesn't hit, and wouldn't it be great if we had like some joystick, like a video game, where you could just be like, okay, Hurricane Irma, Atlantic, done. That'd be great, uh, but, but it's not, it didn't come with my download. I don't have that. And uh, we can't steer hurricanes. We can't steer the storms uh, that are a part of our lives. Um, you, you can do everything that you can possibly think to do, and cancer can still visit your healthy body. Uh, you can do everything that you can think to do in raising your kids, and they can still go off the rails. You can do everything that you can think to do to love your spouse, and they may not love you back. That we just can't steer storms. In a broken world, um, they're coming. Trouble awaits. Another thing I learned is, is that uh, uh, all of us could use some help sometimes. One of the, my favorite parts of, of a storm uh, that I am growing to appreciate is the way that it brings everybody together. Like, I, I've lived in my neighborhood for almost three years now, and I've met most of the people, said hi at the mailbox or something like that. But, but if you're boarding up your house or seeing them board up their house or you're walking through the neighborhood like we were uh, on Sunday before the storm came Sunday night, you just have different conversations with people. And everybody gets really helpful. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or not or this or that or whatever, you know, just, hey, you guys, you okay? Do you need any help? You, get, you got water? You got this? You got that? Um, it's just this unifier. When you, when you know that something's coming and we're all in this together, those of us who stuck around, uh, there's just this unifying factor that comes in uh, the midst of storms. And it's, it's, man, it's, it's so needed because uh, we just need help. Like, I, I, was, I was actually planning last weekend, I had been for six months to go speak at the church that I had been a part of uh, before coming here. It was going to be this great homecoming. I was going to have Tex-Mex and hang out with all my buddies and, and then preach on la, uh, last Sunday's uh, services. But obviously, Irma changed that, and, uh, you know, the, the decision came down that I needed to stay here. And... Uh, 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 and, and then it, it kind of went like in, in like 48 hours, it went from being something that was going to hit the uh, east side of our state to something that was coming right at us. And I was not prepared. I was, I was banking that I was going to be in Dallas and not here and all that stuff. So I got a little late jump on things, okay? And I'm so grateful for like uh, guys in our church like Walt and Jerry and Zach that are, you know, neighbors of mine. Uh, Walt's uh, uh, in construction, so he was able to secure a big pallet of plywood and had some extra you know, they could throw in my windows, which I thought was a good idea at the time. And we just kind of went around, you know, they had done it all the Friday before, but on Saturday, I just went around with them, and we boarded up this house and that house and then my house and these other things, and, and it just, trouble brings people together. It should. And it helps us understand that, you know, uh, we need each other. Uh, we are not immortal, impervious, uh, able to handle everything. Uh, we need people. We need people to help us prepare for storms. We need people to help us to clean up from storms. I'm so glad that I'm the father of Cooper, who still lives in my house, and he has to do what I say. It's so great. 
Because on Monday morning, when we all woke up, uh, I don't know what was in your yard, but the entire contents of the big daddy, you know, granddaddy oaks that are in my, you know, all of the dead branches were piled up in my yards, and, uh, and it was six truckloads, uh, pickup bed truckloads full uh, of getting that stuff, you know, into a burn pile on another part of our property. And Cooper stuck it out with me for like you know, an hour or two for like four or five hours, just, you know, hauling these branches and Spanish moss around. I'm grateful for his help. He didn't have a choice, but I'm still grateful for his help. <laughs> I'm grateful for, uh, I'm grateful for, for uh, utility companies driving from New Hampshire. Uh, who, who was without power? Does anybody go without power? I don't know without power for a lot of the week. Some of you didn't even lose it, and I'm angry at you. I got to be out, I'm honest. But, uh, but those of us who lost power, you know, uh, uh, the first night it was kind of cool because the, the winds were still blowing, but the next night it got hot, and then the, the, the Tuesday night, I, I got power back on Wednesday night. Tuesday night, I, I, was, I was over it. I was done. Eleanor loves camping. She was like, oh, this is so great. You know, she's <laughs> frolicking in her element, you know. And, and I'm just, I, I got myself positioned between two sets of windows, and I'm just trying to sleep at all. And it's, it wasn't fun. And so um, we drove home Wednesday night from work, and, and there was Patrick. And Patrick's from New Hampshire, Liberty Tower Company or whatever, Power Company, Tower, Power Company. And... Uh, and Eleanor had a conversation with Patrick. Oh, you'll have your power on tonight. And sure enough, about 8.30 that night, I'm outside, you know, because inside, it's no fun in there. It's an oven. Outside, not much better, but a little better. And I'm sitting there just being like, okay, Lord, any time now. And then we saw the flickering of the lights of the house next to us, right? And then from inside, I heard Cooper go, yeah! <laughs> and Eleanor's... Uh, you know, sadness came upon her. <laughs> Camping was over. The rest of us were very excited, as I'm sure you were too. But yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for Patrick's. I'm grateful for the help in, in restoring things and cleaning up things and preparing for things that I couldn't do on my own. Now, if I kind of could summarize in a larger way the lessons I've learned from Irma, it's in life, trouble's unavoidable. It's going to happen. Uh, I'm not trying to be a downer. It's just true. Anybody disagree with me? It's going to happen. Um, <laughs> I, I met a family in our, our a neighborhood who had uh, relatives from Miami in uh, because they drove out on Wednesday when it looked like it was going to hit there, and they thought the safest place to be in Florida was on the west side of the state, right? And in the 24 hours it took them to drive, you know, uh, <laughs> from Miami to Tampa, the, the storm shifted. You, you can do everything you can try to do to avoid trouble. It's going to find you. And you can drive as far as you want to drive. It's still it's going to end up being there sometime too, right? The other thing I learned is that in life, we all eventually need help. It's just, it's just true. And I know some of you guys, you know, you're alpha males out there. I don't need anybody's help. I can build anything, fix anything. I'm, I'm, I got superhuman strength. I can do whatever. Uh, no, you can't. You're just not as able as you might think you are. And it's not uh, shameful to accept help. Can I just throw that in as a sidebar here? Uh, we are uh, here for one another. We've been talking about that through this series, New Improved, that it's not about us you know, keeping the rules as much as it's about loving one another. And uh, help and receiving help is a part of the one another formula. It's how we receive love and give love as we help. And everybody's going to need help from time to time. So today, as we've been reading in Psalm 121 and singing the actual words of Psalm 121, uh, 
We just want to be reminded again of where our help comes from. When, when trouble comes, where do we look for help? And if you're kind of new to our church, if a pastor like myself asks you a question, the first answer out of your mouth should be God every time. That's just the, 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 the default answer, God. Just start with God. So when I ask this question, when trouble comes, where do we look for help? What do you say? God, yeah. And this might be the, 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 the biggest softball sermon of all times. I'm not trying to trick you today. I'm not trying to, you know, be elusive. Or, but I am trying to remind us. I am trying to help us reflect one more time on the fact that without him, we can do nothing. That he is our hope and our stay. And that uh, he is the one who uh, can protect us from the storm, uh, get us out of the storm, and lots of times walk with us through the storm. When trouble comes, we look to him. That's what it says here in this Psalm, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? The next uh, verse, verse 2, it's going to tell us my help comes from you, the, uh, the Lord, the, the creator of heaven and earth. But um, we're, we're going to talk about that today. And, and to do that, let me kind of just set up this psalm. Uh, psalms is a, it's a great book in the Bible. It's, it's our biggest book in the Bible. There's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. Everybody know what a psalm is? What's a psalm? It's a song. It's just basically a song book. And these were actual songs that, that Jewish uh, believers, Jewish, you know, uh, believers in Jewish faith, uh, sang throughout their, their Jewishness. Uh, that doesn't sound right. But anyway, um, <laughs> these are actual songs. That's what I'm trying to say. And, uh, and some of them were just kind of standalones, like one-hit wonders, like Take On Me by AHA. But, uh, but others, <clears throat> others were kind of collections. They were almost albums. Like, like here, th- this song, if, if you read it in your Bibles, if you're looking at them, it says a song of ascent or of climbing, ascending. And it's actually one of 15 psalms of ascent from chapter 120 to chapter 134 in the book of Psalms that were a collection of songs uh, that the Jews would sing when they came to Jerusalem uh, for their, their high feasts, Yom Kippur. They'd come to bring a, a, a sacrifice for their entire family's sins for the whole year. And as they're walking up to Jerusalem, they would sing Psalms 120 through 134 in succession as a part of their... Uh, Religious exercise is a part of their custom in preparing for Yom Kippur. It, it wouldn't be unlike you and I going to camp when we were kids. And remember, you know, there was camp, camp songs. You would sing camp songs, wheels on the bus, go, you'd get on the bus, and you'd wheels on the bus, go round and round, you know. Now, those, those kinds of things. Or, or like when you run. Uh, when I run, I have a playlist. Uh, there's the songs that I put through my earbuds so that I will keep running. Uh, there's no air supply on that playlist. Uh, there's... Uh, in fact, there's lots of angry songs that you'd probably be surprised your pastor listens to, but they're, they're all songs that kind of just keep me going, and uh, that's, that's what the Psalter or the Psalms were for the, the Jewish faith. So this is the second, of, of, uh, you know, second cut on the uh, Song of Ascent's album, and uh, it, it's not assigned to anybody specifically. Psalm 122 is called the Psalm of David, and Psalm 124 like it, and there's, there's certain you know, uh, sometimes it's by the choir master, and we're not always sure who exactly the choir master is, but, but some psalms have, like, you know, names attached to them. Lots of psalms don't, and so we don't really know who wrote those psalms, uh, but for our purposes today, I, I think this is a psalm just based on my study of a guy named David in the Bible that, that David wrote, and I can actually picture him writing this psalm at a certain time in his life. David is, you know, uh, the, the penman of many of the psalms. I think he wrote this one. Uh, as he was leaving uh, everything that he knew, uh, just after finding out that the king of Israel wanted him dead. 
If you don't know the story of David, David's uh, story is pretty amazing. It, it lasts for about four or five chapters, the beginnings of it, uh, starting in 1 Samuel chapter, uh, I want to make sure I get the right number, uh, 1 Samuel chapter uh, 17, in, in chapter 16, he's anointed. So David's just, he's out there just hanging out, watching sheep, and, and then if you, if you don't know about the story of, of the kings of Israel, Samuel was the prophet of Israel. The, the people of Israel came to this guy, Samuel, and they said, Sam, we need a king. And, and Sam said, you don't need a king. God's your king. And they said, no, everybody else, all the other nations have kings. We want a king. And so God gave him a king. And, and the king's name, was anybody remember? Saul. And Saul was a dud, just so you know. Saul was not a good king. Saul was the king that everybody thought they wanted, but he was a dud. He just, he, he didn't honor God. He was... Uh, indecisive as a leader, he made some bad choices, and ultimately, uh, God says, you know what, we're done with Saul, we're gonna, we're gonna anoint a new king, and so that's where David comes in. David's out just watching some sheep, Saul goes to his father's house, a guy named Jesse, he looks at all the other sons, and he's like, no, none of them, and then <laughs> uh, he says, Samuel says to Jesse, you got, you got any more? Yeah, there's a guy watching the sheep, but he's not much to look at, and he says, well, bring him in, and sure enough, this teenager, David, is anointed king of Israel. Well, time goes by, and uh, nothing really happens. He doesn't like head straight to the throne. He just kind of goes back to the sheep until uh, the Philistines, uh, 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 an enemy of the Israelites for years, uh, comes into battle against Israel and, and they have this huge giant uh, named Goliath as their champion. And if you know the story, you know the story. He, he challenges Israel. He says, send, send your champion. If I win, the Philistines rule. If you win, uh, the, the Israelis rule and, and we'll settle it this way. And, and so David, fast forward, comes to the battlefield, uh, great story, but ultimately he slays this giant. And, and he is immediately elevated in the minds of all of Israel. Everybody just loves this teenager, this kid David, who was able to slay Goliath. They actually write songs about him uh, on Top 40 Radio in Israel at the time. Uh, it was all these songs about how David killed Goliath. And actually one of the lines in Psalm chapter, or 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 8 says, Saul has killed his thousands, the king has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands, because David goes on to be the, the general of the Israeli army and has all these military successes. Well, this, this doesn't sit well with the king. He's a little jealous of his intern. And so uh, he determines in his heart that he's going to end David. He starts chucking his spear at him every chance he gets. You can read it, it's all in there. And David's like, no, Saul, he's a good company man. He's like, Saul, I'm your, I'm your guy. He's actually Saul's son-in-law. He's married one of Saul's girls. He's like, Dad, quit throwing the spear at me. I just want to be a, a good servant to you and a good servant to our God. And Saul's having none of it. So you, you get a little further in the story, and David's a great friend with his, uh, his, his brother-in-law, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan. And he and Jonathan uh, work out a deal where David just wants to know once and for all, am I really uh, hated by my father-in-law? So Jonathan goes and feels out his dad and says, hey, dad, seriously, I mean, all jokes aside, you really want to get rid of David? And Saul's like, yeah, you know where he is? I got a spear for him. And so Jonathan tells David, yeah, man, you're the most wanted man in Israel. You went from being the, the subject of songs on our radios to being the face in our post office, uh, and everybody's ordered to shoot to kill and ask questions later. So David's, listen, put yourself in David's shoes. He's got to leave 
everything. His post, his promise as the anointed king, his family, his new wife. He's got to leave uh, the security of everything he knows. And you know where he ends up going? Keep reading the story. He goes to the hometown of the giant that he killed. He goes to Gath in Philistines territory. And he acts like a crazy man. He has to spit up on his beard just so that they leave him alone because he's a loony. He goes from the penthouse to the outhouse. In five chapters of your Bible. And I like to picture David as writing this psalm just at the beginning of his journey out of town. He's leaving probably by the cover of night and he's heading up to the mountains that separate his territory from the Philistine, Philistine territory that he's heading to, and he says these words, I lift my eyes up to these unknown hills. Who's going to take care of me? Where does my help come from? It's this song that he asks the question of himself and then answers the question for himself, and it says, in, in my understanding of Psalm 121, he says, my help comes Verse 2, from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. Verse 2, who made heaven. Trust me, it's in there. Oh, it's right there. I'm looking at that screen right there. <laughs> I looked like an idiot just then, didn't I? <laughs> Sorry, Matt. <laughs> My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. A couple things, just from Psalm 121, as I leave you and hopefully encourage you today in the storms of your life. First of all, when, when, you, when you guys, when we hit trouble, when we all face the storms of life, here's something we know. God is our source and our strength in our times of trouble. It says there uh, that my help comes from the Lord, who made, he's the maker of heaven and earth. You know, as the maker, you have certain rights, you have certain abilities that other people uh, don't have because you know how this works. You know how to, to, to manage this, and you have the power to manage this. When God comes to the, the stuff of our life, he's our source and our strength. He's, he's the one who's able and the one who understands. His wisdom is superior to anything else that we can get. His power is superior to any other efforts we can make. He is our source and our strength in our times of trouble. David reminds himself of this. He says, now, the hills are scary. I don't know what's going to go on here, but I have God, and he'll take care of me. It goes on in verse three, it says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. It means that God's our tireless anchor. He just doesn't ever get tired, isn't that great? Uh, he who keeps you will not slumber. That word there, if I go back to verse three, that word keeps there is the Hebrew word shamar. Everybody say shamar. Shamar is used six times, six different times in about three or four verses here in this psalm. And it's just uh, this, this psalmist, or David as I'm picturing it, just reminding himself over and over again, God is my keeper, God is my protector, God is my sustainer. He is the one who holds me through the storms. He's not gonna take a nap on me. He's not gonna lose track of me. I'm not like that, you know, the kid who was supposed to stay in the toy section in the mall and I decided to go look at a, you know, a home decor for some reason. Uh, and and I, my parents lose me. My kids did that to me once. I was really mad. I found them. It's all good. But God's, God doesn't lose track of me. 
He doesn't get tired and, and, and just, you know, not bother with me. He's always there. And then it says there, he will not let your foot be moved. He's like our cleats. He, he stabilizes us in, in the winds of the storm. Anybody go out in the middle of, of Irma? Anybody? I was that guy during Charlie. I, I didn't do it this time. But when I got here in 2004, I'd never been in a hurricane. I was just really interested. So, you know, as the winds were howling during Hurricane Charlie, I was like, wow, I, I just stood out there. I was like, whoa, yeah, wow, that is brisk, right? You know, and uh, <laughs> you almost feel like, you know, you're watching the news reporters, you know, uh, reporting. I don't know why they all feel like they got to stand right by, you know, a body of water and just get, you know, pelted by, you know. We know it's storming out there, but, uh, you know, we're out here so you don't have to be. Well, you don't have to be out there. Go inside. Uh, <laughs> You know, just watching them almost get swept over railings as these storms come flying in. I mean, it's like, yeah, uh, they need things to tether them, to hold them down. And that's God. That, that, that's, God's our, our, our safety rope in the storms of life. I was a, a youth pastor in Texas, and, and they had all these ropes courses at this one camp that we went to a retreat on. And, and one of the things that we had to do, I think I've told you about it before, but it was called the pole, and it was just a telephone pole. It's 40 feet up in the air. And on the top of the telephone pole, there was basically a three-foot by three-foot uh, wood platform. And your job, they, they, first of all, they put that, that climbing harness thing, you know, that really uncomfortable one. You know what I'm talking about, fellas? It just kind of rides up in all the wrong places. But they put that on you, and they tie this rope to this back of this uh, uh, carabiner, and, and that's all you got, Okay. And then they tell you climb, and so you climb 40 feet up straight in the air, and then they tell you, okay, just wrap yourself around this platform. And so there's, there's no handlebars, there's nothing, to do, you know, you're just basically, it's really awkward, it's just not fun at all, and you're doing it 40 feet above the ground. Uh, it's one of those things when you look at it, it's like, that's easy. When you get on it, you're like, what am I doing up here? You know what I'm talking about? So I finally, I, I did it, I got up there, and then and the thing they tell you to do, there's this bar, it's, it's like the whole... The whole spiel is to climb this pole and then to jump from the perfectly safe, wobbly, but perfectly safe platform out to catch this bar, and then the ride's over. That's it. But, you know, I didn't want to be, I thought it was dumb, but I didn't want to be the one who didn't do it, so, uh, you know, I, I threw this massive carcass uh, out into the great wide open, and I grabbed this bar, and I'm hanging on to this bar. I did it. Lots of other kids didn't even reach it, or, but I did it. I'm hanging there, and, so, and then I'm like to, to this you know, 16-year-old girl who has a series of pulleys that, you know, she's looped this rope that's tied to me, you know, and uh, she, I'm like, okay, now what, Kelsey, what do I do now? Let go of the bar. I don't think you heard me. <laughs> I'm sure there's like a scissor lift that you got hidden behind some trees, and you're going to bring it over here, and you're going to bring it up to me so that, you know, and I know the rope is here for my safety in case the scissor lift doesn't work. But, you know, bring out the scissor lift, Kelsey. This isn't funny. No, just let go. I got you. Little 120-pound Kelsey in a series of pulleys is going to hold this up in the air. And it took me a while. And I was getting tired. Anybody ever hung by a bar? It's like, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. She said, no, trust me. I'm, I'm certified. Oh, that's, that's comforting. <laughs> let go of the bar. And so finally I did. And like, you know, a cow being hoisted down by a helicopter, you know, I'm just kind of hanging by the back of my belt loop. And, and sure enough, she just kind of lit it out a little bit at a time, and I met terra firma again, and it was, it was fine. Every time I think of that story, I think, you know, that's, that's God with us. 
He asks us to climb some seriously crazy things. He asks us to go in directions that we're like, seriously, sometimes? And then we get in those spots, and we're like, okay, now what, Lord? He says, jump. And so we jump, and then we're just hanging there, and then we're like, now what, Lord? And then he says, let go. And we're like, that's the plan? And he's like, yeah, I got you. I will, I will keep you safe. I will not let your foot slip. Yeah, I'm not going to keep you from the storm. This is going to be hard. But I got you. And we'll get through this together. God's our tireless anchor. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He expands uh, his grid here. He says, Listen, uh, God's not going to slumber or sleep on you personally, but he's not going to slumber on sleep or sleep on anybody corporately. He's got everybody. You know, this is, this is an incredibly encouraging verse for those of us who are the loved ones of people who are going through a storm. Because what it's basically saying is that God is everyone's tireless anchor. He's not just looking out for us. He's looking out for everybody. And because he's looking out for everybody, we can trust him with those that we love. We can trust him with uh, sons who are kind of off the ranch. Uh, Eleanor and I have one of those right now. Uh, we love him deeply, and we trust that uh, we've raised him up, like my friend Bernie told me the other day, in the way that he should go. But it's his, his choice to either go that way or not. And uh, we're trusting that eventually he's going to get back to the things that God wants him to get back to. And here's, here's our, our greatest reason for trusting that, because God's got him. God knows what he's doing. He's, he's, he's our uh, boy Ben's father way before I am. And he's got him. And my preference would be this, this, and this for my son. But God knows. And I can trust him with my kid. I can trust him with uh, uh, you know, the people in my life who are sick, the people in my life who are struggling, the people in my family whose marriages are blown up. I, I can trust him because he doesn't sleep on anybody. He's in the midst of all storms, even the ones uh, for those that I love. Verse 5 says uh, that the Lord is our keeper. There's that word shamar again. The Lord is our shade on our right hands. Uh, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night, the psalmist here. And this is why I think it's David. He's, he's going all military here. If you can go back to verse five, we're gonna find out, uh, first of all, that God is our protector. God is our protector. Uh, that'll show up here eventually. But in verse five, it says this. The Lord is our keeper. He's, he's the Lord, and he's our shade on our right hands. He's a shade on our right hands. If you're in the army back then, it was all hand-to-hand combat, okay? There weren't any missiles to launch or anything like that. It was just you had a, a sword, a sticker, and a shield, a stopper, right? And most people... We're right-handed. Who's right-handed out there? Anybody got it right? Yeah. All you lefties, God bless you guys. Good to have you. <laughs> but in the Army back then, you, you were made to fight right-handed, okay? Uh, because if you were uh, sitting or standing next to someone who was fighting and their shield was on their left, right? It's kind of like eating next to someone who's, who's left-handed or right-handed. Or, you know, it just makes a mess, right? So everybody put their shields on their left and everybody fought with their right. So what was your weak side? This one. No shield over here. You got the sticker, but it's, it's not protected. And so what the psalmist says here is that the Lord's your keeper. He is the shade on your right hand. That means he's the soldier next to you. 
that with his left-handed shield, he's protecting your weak side. He's the one who is coming alongside you in your fight. It says uh, in verse six, that the sun shall not strike you by day. He expands this to kind of more of a meteorological thing. He says, listen, it gets hot out there. And he's not only your protection in a fight, but he's like a shade tree. Like us in Florida understand shade trees, right? Like, like if it's 95, you know, with a 104% you know, percent humidity, um, you don't stand out in the middle of your yard for long periods of time. Uh, you find the trees. Like, like when we park, I can always tell who's not from Florida because they try to park as close as they can to a building. Those of us who are from Florida find the trees in the parking lot. And we park our black pickup trucks under the trees because we don't want to incinerate when we get back in it after an hour of shopping, right? Because we appreciate the shade. And God says, listen, I'm your shade. I'm the one who's going to keep you from wearing out in the hot, hot, hot of the storms of your life. He says this next part. He says, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Okay, the shade thing's starting to break down here a little bit. How many people need shade at night? Anybody need shade at night? I think the whole world is in shade at night. Can everybody agree with me? That's what night is. It's the absence of the sun. And I've never once got a moon burn. Has anybody ever gotten a moon burn? It's not like I need shade from the moon. What, what, what could he possibly be talking about? Well, it was a, a widespread belief back in the days of this writing uh, that if you were uh, exposed to the moon for long periods of time, you went crazy. I don't know if that's where the whole werewolf thing came from. But it was a, it was a long uh, accepted belief that if you were outside and under the moon for a long time, you went nuts. You don't believe me? Uh, anybody ever use the word lunatic for a crazy person? You know what luna is, right? It's the, it's the Latin word for moon. So what this uh, psalmist is saying, what I believe David is saying is, listen, God's not just going to keep you protected in the fight. He's not just going to keep you, you know, uh, um, um, replenished in the sun. He's going to keep you from going crazy in those storms of your life. He's going he's to be um, your, your whisperer. I, I have Mark whisperers. Do you have any whisperers in your life? Like dog whisperers, cat whisperers, horse whisperers. I, I have certain people in my life that are able to speak to me in ways, and God uses them to kind of, you know, get me back on, on track. I'll, I'll share with you openly about some struggles that I've had in life. When I first got here, uh, we were trying to figure out the vision for our church, and uh, around 2008, uh, 2009, we, we started another campus down in Riverview. Some of you were here for that, maybe even went there. And uh, it was a, man, it was a great church. It was a, there was a great group of people, and it was growing. It was all, you know, almost from day one, one of the bigger churches in the entire Riverview area. But it happened at the same time in 2008 and 2009 that the, con uh, con or the economy was just going <laughs> and everything flattened out and people weren't able to give here or just decided not to give here, whatever the case. And so all of the money that we needed to support two campuses just wasn't there. And for your pastor, it was one of the hardest leadership struggles I've ever had. I didn't know if we should pull the oars in and just not be down there or if we should keep trusting and having faith. And sometimes you wonder if you know, faith is just being stupid and and, and so eventually we got to the point, we learned as long as we could, but we got to the point where we just decided as a leadership and, uh, and I as a pastor that we needed to bring that campus home. It was hard. Listen, it was hard because it felt like a failure. And people got disgruntled and disappointed. And many of them left, people that I loved and had spent years doing church with. And listen, I don't, I don't know about other pastors, but this pastor doesn't want to lose anybody over something that is beyond his control. 
And so uh, we had to give reverse raises around that time. Uh, people on our staff had to you know, be paid less because we just couldn't afford. We didn't want to lose people, but we couldn't afford to pay them what we usually paid them, so we just cut everybody's pay. And listen, it, you know, there's worse things, but it was just hard to come to work in the midst of all that. And I got, I got depressed. I, I thought it was just the flu. Got a bad case of something. But really, I just didn't want to get out of bed, so I didn't. And that made my wife concerned because that's not normally me. So she counseled me, and she uh, started calling my whisperers. And uh, you know, men that I trusted here would encourage me and pray for me. And then men that I'd you know, grown up around and, and served in other churches with started calling me. She called this one guy Frank. He was an elder uh, at, a, at the church that I came from in Dallas. And, and, and he was, you know, my, my 20 years my senior. He's a good, good guy. We laughed a lot, but, but we weren't, like, tight. But he, listen, he could just communicate to me. And she, he called Frank and so Frank was on the, on the phone, and I was laying in my bed, and I didn't even want to get up to sit up and talk to him. So I did that whole, anybody ever, you know, do the conversation with someone where you lay the cell phone, the cell phone on the pillow? And you just, anybody ever do this? You're like just so down, you just don't even want to hold the phone. You're like, what, Frank? And God used Frank to talk to me that day. He was firm in the beginning. Get off your butt. This is dumb. You know it. I know it. God's in this. Go do your job. That kind of started. And then he, he started quoting scripture to me. He prayed with me. And he convinced me somehow to get moving again. Now, here's the reason I tell you that story. A lot of times, when, when God is our protector, he's our protector through his people. And he uses the uh, another's in our lives to be our, our whisperers, our messengers, our encouragers, our butt kickers so that we can get going again in life. I'm grateful to God for that, because God is our protector. He's our shade on our right hand. He's, he's our, uh, our rescue and our, our, our oasis in a hot sun. He is, he is our whisperer, oftentimes through our one another's, and the times where we feel like we're losing it and we can't go any further. It says in verse seven that the Lord will keep you Verse 7 says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Um, that seems like a, a promise that God hasn't kept. Because if you read it at its face, you're like, well, God, it says there that the Lord will keep us from all evil. I experience evil all the time. I, I experience these storms that you've been talking about all morning, Mark. God's kind of reneging on this promise. He, he said he's going to keep us from all evil. Well, you gotta, you got to read this in the Hebrew context that it's intended. Uh, what, what it means is, is that he's going to keep you uh, from experiencing all the evil that you could possibly experience. He's not going to keep you just pristine and, and free from the, the, the sins that uh, mar our world. But he, he knows how much you can take. He, let me put that better. He knows how much you and he can take. And so he's not going to let all of the evils of the world rest in your life. He's going to keep you from the ones that he wants to protect you from. And in the midst of the evils or in the midst of the hard things that he allows to come in your life, he will shamar. He'll keep you in life. It says pretty much the same thing in Paul's writings to the, to the Romans. Uh, it talks about us, you know, in our trials and in our struggles. You know, what can separate us from our God? What can separate us from the love of Christ? 
He says, shall tribulation or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. He, he lists seven things there. If you don't know, the Bible has some specific numbers that you know, uh, mean things uh, analogously. And so seven is the number of wholeness. And he basically lists seven horrible things. And he says, listen, of all of the, the whole of the evils and the hard things that can come a, across our lives, none of them are going to separate us from the love of Christ. Skip down a verse, and in verse 37 it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through God, him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. The bottom line is this. God has got us when trouble comes. The psalm ends in verse 8. Psalm 121, verse 8 says, The Lord will keep your going in and your, or your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Uh, that's a, a pretty all inclusive statement. You know what he just said there? Doesn't matter where you go out, in, left, right, up, down. He's got you. And how long does he have you? He's got you from this time forth, and then for how long after that? Forevermore. God is our shamar. He's our keeper. I don't know what happens with you after you leave church here on Sundays. As I've uh, been more active in our worship times and involving myself more in our singing, uh, I end up waking up Monday mornings and usually singing one of the songs that we sang at church the day before. I don't know if uh, that's by design, uh, but that's what the Holy Spirit does in my heart. So here's what I know. I know that everybody in here is heading out tomorrow to a Monday, and Monday's going to have trouble because that's the way they are. And then you're going to go to bed, and you're going to wake up to Tuesday, and guess what? There's going to be other troubles there on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and so on and so forth. The storms are coming. They're unavoidable. We all need help, and here's what we just learned. We just learned as we lift up our eyes to the hills of our trouble and we ask that question, where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's our source, he's our strength, he's our protector, he's our provider. Nothing can separate us from his love. I'm so grateful that last weekend, for all intents and purposes, God had us he provided for us. I'm so grateful for that in everything that we face in our future, God's got us. He provided for us. I pray that the next time the trouble comes, you remember this song. Stand and sing it with me. Lord, we know the answer to that question is you. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you, God, for saving us through the work of your son Jesus on the cross. Thank you for being here in the midst of every storm that we've ever faced. God, my prayer is that as we face the next ones, we remember this song, this psalm, this truth, that when everything else seems to be lost, we can be found in you. God, would you just uh, grant us this hope today? Make us sure in our unsureness. Make us certain in our uncertainties, God. Grant us your strength and your peace in the midst of our storms. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Be safe.
see you next time.